Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Truly by investing in our neighborhoods, bringing our focus back to neighborhood schools, so also reprioritizing them. The opportunity zones that I spoke about will spur people back into uh, the city, and then we'll have the growth that we need to pay for all of the things that we need to pay for. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is retiring Alderman Sophia King of the Fourth Ward, chair of the City Council's Progressive Caucus and one of nine candidates running for mayor of Chicago. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, I wouldn't say retiring. I'm hoping to uh, work a little bit harder, smarter, and help the city out. Retiring from this seat and yes, on a treadmill sure. to try to get on the next seat, which is mayor of Chicago. And you were on a treadmill this morning like I was, a real one. And now you're on a treadmill for the political uh, version of it. You had a very sad day on Wednesday. A Kenwood yeah. high rise in your ward was the scene of a fatal fire that killed a retired teacher in her 80s. What more can you tell us about that fire and the cause of it in a building with sprinklers, I believe in the hallways, but not the apartments. And it had a history of building code violations. Yeah. Um, it, it was a, a sad day. Definitely yesterday. Uh, one of the harder days um, that I've had to deal with uh, in the most recent um, history. Um, and, you know, what I do know is that, you know, we sadly lost, as you said, um, a former teacher and, uh, and that was very tragic. I didn't find that out um, until after I'd been out there for hours uh, because originally uh, the firefighters who, were just miraculous, I will tell you. I watched them run into burning buildings, and it, when you saw the flames, it was just uh, very heroic. Um, but they originally brought out seven people from the building, and you know they were all in fairly good condition, and um, they took them to the hospital, and um, and there were people still in the building, was which was frightening as well. Um, and, you know, my chief of staff, uh, Prentice Butler, he had uh, a godmother who was there who he was in contact with at the same time. And, you know, they were frantic thinking, you know, that they were going to be stuck in the building. But the firefighters knew what they were doing. They wanted to contain them in a safe place, which they did. Um, and, and then they were able to evacuate them safely. Uh, unfortunately, as they contained the fire and were able to um, you know, move kind of uh, up through the building where the fire originated, uh, they found um, the decedent um, who we just spoke about. And and so, uh, unfortunately, uh, they believe or they know that that's where the fire started. I don't have any details about, you know, the investigation. There have been speculations. I'm not going to speculate 
out loud, um, I will let the fire department um, respond to why the, you know, how this fire started. Um, and again, with buildings, let them deal with the the violations that uh, they're, these are, you know, all news to me. Um, but, um, you know, I will let the experts uh, uh, formulate an, an investigation and then, you know, come up with um, uh, how we can, if there were things that we could have done differently, um, how we can learn from this. So. Do you know anything about the cause? I don't. I don't know anything. Like I said, I've, I've, people have speculated. I'm not going to publicly speculate. And, you know, I will let the uh, fire department respond to the cause of the fire. I do have to say that so very much has changed about how they fight high-rise fires after the horrible situation at uh, 69 West Washington, the county administration building 20 years ago, which was an absolute fiasco where people were trapped yeah. in smoke-filled stairwells that, with doors that closed behind them and trapped them in there. Uh, yes. I covered that fire. It was horrible. And it was horrific. so very much has changed. I, it was horrific. I remember that. Uh, and when you talk about like when I first came up to this fire and I learned that people were still in the building and my first thought was, why aren't we getting them out? But the firefighters knew um, to contain them and not uh, trap in the fire well. So like I said, uh, the first responders, especially our firefighters, uh, I just watched them, you know, run into buildings and come out with ashes on their face. And, um, and I know they saved a lot of lives. And so I'm just thankful for them. Um, I'm fortunate that we did lose a life, uh, but it certainly could have been more. And uh, it was a sad day. Um, so. You entered this race with a very formidable reputation for fundraising, having raised a ton for your fourth ward race after being appointed by Mayor Rahm Emanuel. You've managed to raise about a half a million dollars, I believe, but you're yep. still not on the air with commercials. And yet Lightfoot is blanking, blanketing the airwaves, many of them attempting to tie Chewy Garcia to two indicted political powerhouses, Mike Madigan and Sam Bagman fried Brandon mm -hmm. Johnson is all over the airwaves, so is Paul Vallis. Don't you risk getting left behind? Yeah, so we will be on the airwaves. That's something we'll do. Uh, money is definitely a factor. Uh, I don't know about my history of being able to raise money, Fran, but I will, you know, take your word at that. It, um, I will tell you that people are fearful uh, that the mayor is going to be vindictive. You know, I'm trying to tell them she's not going to be our next mayor. And, you know, those bogus polls that are coming out are interesting. Uh, but, you know, we are polling shows that we have a pathway that we are literally one of the the only candidate that grows, uh, for instance, Paul doesn't grow his base. Um, Chewy doesn't necessarily grow his base and has been stagnant. And I'm not sure if that's because of, you know, the negatives that come with with his um, candidacy. Uh, and we grow our base in all communities, but especially the black community equally. We grow our base and we also get Latino um, voters as well. And I will say that our poll, um, which, you know, tested um, actual talk to registered voter, not people who said they were registered to vote. Um, and then we also did what's called a focus group of with um, 
with uh, undecideds, and we turned 99% of them. And so, you know, these are things, um, you know, that we know we can, we have a path to victory. And you're right, money is a very pragmatic part of that. Uh, we do have enough to go up. We will hopefully have enough to, to sustain uh, being on TV and, and to continue to get our message out. But what I will say is that Lori has spent millions of dollars on TV and her polling numbers are going down, although her own polls suggest differently. But like I said, I there's no poll that has her at 25 percent. That's just bogus. Um, and then, you know, uh, Chewy um, is having difficulty and probably will continue with a lot of the unethical things over his head and, and he doesn't grow and, and ballast it just cannot appeal, you know, across, you know, kind of the white conservative voters. Um, and he doesn't grow either. And like I said, I've been appealing to, uh, you know, a cross section, of, uh, which is one of the reasons that I stood up um, to try and help um, in this decision, because I know that I, you know, I represent or that's very diverse. It's, you know, 50% African-American, 40% white and 10% other. And I have some of the poorest and richest areas in the city. I deal with gun violence. I deal with, I have a, uh, a police district downtown and, and one South. And, you know, I see the disparities there. I have, you know, seen the difference, but I've also uh, not neglected any community uh, within the ward. So I've been able to, you know, um, have uh, downtown parts of it. Some of the most amenities in my ward was Grant Park and Northerly Island, Soldier Field, Museum Campus, five times as much lakefront as anybody else. So I manage a very unique, um, complex and difficult ward, much like you would have to do in the city. Um, But my goal to bring us all together um, and to stop these false narratives um, and really uh, it, it's it's not even false narratives. It's that we take narratives that are on the fringe, defund the police, you know, which is uh, Brandon and Chewy to a certain extent, and and Law and Order, which is kind of Willie and Paul, and and lead narratives by those small folks on the fringe, which in reality people sit in the center. People know that we can both uplift our police and hold them accountable. And I'm just reminding them of that. And once they hear that, they're like, aha, because we've been, you know, really uh, placing everything that we've been unable to solve on our police and our teachers. They need help. Uh, They need to be recognized as members of our community, our brothers, our sisters, our uncles, aunts. And we cannot condemn that whole profession. We need them as part of the solution. They're not the only solution, as I suggest. Again, another and where we can, you know, uplift them, hold them accountable, and we can get to the root causes, which is why I also suggest to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on those root causes so we're not back here in 10 to 20 years. But we certainly need the police to get to the immediate issues around crime. I disagree with people like Brandon and Chewy, who were like, you know, we can root cause our way out of this. No, when somebody has a gun at your head, you want the police to respond to that immediately. And every poll, we can do both. every single poll shows that crime is the number one, two, three issue. You've said sure. it yourself. And yet 
today you're focusing on the issue of education. Why are yes. you tuning your attention to the public schools and what exactly is your plan to improve them? And how does that deal with the whole violent crime thing? Yeah. So they're, they're connected. I mean, everything's connected like an ecosystem, but I will just say, Fran, as you know, I have an 18 page 10 point uh, plan that's not built in theory. It is, it's things that we can do day one. I just quickly just talk about, you know, our plan to go to two shifts, you know, for the police, meaning we can um, literally, you know, in a day's notice, say that we're going to two shifts, which would put um, up to 50% more officers in the communities and neighborhoods that they need. The mayor should be stealing that idea and implementing it right now with all of this unwieldy crime. And we have a plan that shows not only can you do that with a 40 day, 40 hour week, but you go to four days on three days off. So officers get more time and rest and mental care that they need. Um, and then they're on for 40 days. I mean, they're on for four days and off for three days and you get up to 50% more officers. And just let me give you an example. If you have got 90 officers in three shifts, that'd be 30 officers a shift. If you split it into two, that's 45. You've got more people. We need things like that. We need officers to be in communities during positive time to mitigate the, the negatives. But the education piece is certainly a part of that as well. Um, in education, a lot of our youth are disengaged, right? So they're part of the issue, that disengagement. Um, and we certainly need to make sure that they are engaged. Uh, if we now, don't, how have, do you do that? Go ahead, how do you do yeah. that? Well, if you don't have safety in good schools, <laughs> people are not going to stay in Chicago, nor are they going to move to Chicago. So right away, I would seek to, again, uplift our teachers as part of the plan. Um, we can uh, give them incentives uh, to stay in Chicago and to move to Chicago. I'm a former teacher. My sister's a teacher. My, teach my sister actually teaches at Evanston Township. And she said she would move in a heartbeat if she knew that we could give, um, you know, uh, interest-free mortgages uh, to teachers, for instance, uh, sell them a dollar lot. And not only that, we'll also build our communities in the areas where we need them. So we've got to uh, bring back a lot of population also um, in order to really grow as a city. So that would be part of it to incentivize teachers um, to be here. I think a big part of my plan also is to bring back um, vocational and tech training in the schools. Again, talking about disengagement, you know, I think um, people say there's probably over 40,000 uh, youth who drop out. Um, and if we can engage them, we would start that process early. Seventh and eighth grade is when we see, especially eighth, going to high school, the most attrition. And we certainly need to, you know, make sure we've got a counselor from the high school whose responsibility it really is to to engage those eighth graders so that we don't lose them in the midst of that transition. But part of that loss is that those high school students don't feel it at all. And so we have to form a connection. Um, it can be around a job path, which trades and technology will bring, or it can be around after school programming, like, you know, what are they interested in? Soccer, tennis, the arts, poetry, whatever it is we 
educated and engage those kids um, so that we don't lose them. And a lot of time we lose them, as you know, to the streets. And so um, so that would be part of it. But a big part of this engagement, and I know this through a lot of detail that I've done uh, with Dunbar High School, which is uh, a trade school that used to bring a lot of um uh, especially African-American folks in the trades. Anybody you know who's successful in the trades right now probably went um, to Dunbar High School or a similar trade school. So, but part of this um, solution is um, dealing with the unions. Um, so right now, apprentice programs start after school, like in when you're 18. And so Kids are already disengaged by that. I'm recommending that we start those programs in high school, junior and senior year, so that those kids that are there can be exposed to jobs and know how much money they can make because individuals in the trades make a lot of money and people don't necessarily know that. So we need to expose them to that while they're there. And so that's a big part of my to make sure that we uh, bring uh, trades back in a real way uh, to um, to our schools like we used to do. Um, and then also uh, making Chicago what I would call the Silicon Valley of the Midwest and using educational tools to do that. So bringing, make sure STEM and STEAM um, is a significant part of our- uh, uh, STEM, our, science, technology, yes. engineering, mm-hmm. and math. How would right. you do that? It sounds great to yeah. say Silicon Valley of the Midwest. How? Yeah. I thought yeah, I so thought we have STEM, uh, STEM programs in the schools already. We do, but but most people don't know that that you know the jobs of the future, and even now, almost seventy percent of jobs are in that area. So our kids are just not trained to those jobs. So we need to have corporate partnerships bring you know corporations into. Um, the schools, I think I mentioned, you know, like Johnson Controls is one of the biggest employers uh, for the repair of HVAC systems. Uh, we should have them in the schools teaching our kids how to, um, um, you know, uh, repair HVAC systems so that they can come out making fifty to $80,000 a year. Very livable uh, jobs. So we have to form those uh, those um, the, those collaborative efforts with our corporations. Google is here. They should be, you know, in our schools, really uh, training folks to uh, take those jobs of the future. So we have to do that in a more uh, collaborative effort and um, more deliberative. I think we're not doing it at the pace that the jobs, there are a lot of jobs that are out there that aren't being filled because people aren't trained to do them. And so I would do that in a very um, deliberative way that's not being uh, done right now. Um, I would also uh, seek to grow our communities uh, around that. Um, so th- when you talk about the Silicon Valley, it's it's you know not only um, you know in the schools, but attracting more businesses uh, to Chicago so that we can also have more partnerships that are in the school. Right now, most of those businesses are going to Atlanta. Um, for a number of reasons, but there's no reason that they shouldn't uh, come to Chicago first because we have, you know, all of the trappings and we're an affordable uh, city. We have um, um, uh, the, the, uh, 
infrastructure. Um, you know, we've got uh, the diversity. We've got, um, you know, all of the major universities around us. So this is something, you know, that um, our city is prepared to do. We just need, like, the political will to take us in that uh, di- direction and the vision to do so as well. And You mentioned and think- that CVS, uh, Chicago Vocational, and mm-hmm. uh, Dunbar and Simeon mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Farragut, all mm-hmm. are schools that once taught job skills but are now very, very under-enrolled, and that's costing CPS a ton of federal money. Yes. So not only are they under-enrolled right now, but in their heyday, they were oversubscribed to. They had to put extra wings on the schools um, in order to, uh, you know, um, to deal with the population uh, there. Uh, But part of that attraction was the job training that was there, much like I'm speaking about now. This isn't new, Um, but you're right. Uh, We've got federal funds. um, So we get federal funds um, that are based per capita. That's why, you know, uh, day one through 20, I can't remember exactly, are huge in terms of marketing that our city does to make sure we've got kids in school by a certain date, because then the federal government counts, you know, how much money they're going to give us. And so we're losing a lot of money. We're losing kids, obviously, but we're also losing money that we could use to do things like this, you know, over 40,000 kids. And we talk about, you know, uh, 1200 probably dollars per capita. You could make $50 million to grow a program if you captured all of the kids that we lost. Um, and so we could use that money. There's also um, uh, grants that the federal government has uh, for uh, tech uh, job training and uh, trade uh, education. It, there's something called Perkins grants, which are out there. We don't utilize them to the extent that we could. In fact, they rolled over some of those Perkins grants from last budget to, to this budget. And so, again, we need somebody who has the vision, uh, the political will, the know-how and understanding in order to bring us back to this way. And 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 like you said, what about, about unions? Early, what about unions? How would they fit yeah, in? Yeah. So, it, we would have a conversation, the, the devil's in the details. Like I said, right now, in order to get into apprentice program, you have to have graduated from high school and ha- or at least be 18 years old, which means by then we've disconnected. We don't know where the kids are after they graduate. If you any institution, like where the graduates are, it's, it's hard to track. And so why not engage them while they're there like we used to do? And so that would be conversations. Every union is slightly different. Um, and most of their apprentice programs are also out in the suburbs that are hard to reach. Why not? Because Chicago brings so much money to the unions, have a special program in the high schools like we do, you know, at Dunbar and, and some other high schools where the unions are right there and they're training them and the apprentice programs are there so that we can, again, um, train our kids for the jobs of the future. And that would be part of it. Another big piece, obviously, um, in building schools and paying for all of this is bringing population back to the city. 
in my yeah, I was just uh, about to say the CPS yeah. has been hemorrhaging students for literally sure. years. You want to reverse that trend and yes. grow the population by putting resources into existing schools and grow the number of selective enrollment schools and invest oh, yes. heavily in co-curricular and other after-school activities. How would you do that? I mean, yeah. right now, parents sweat it out. Their students mm -hmm. sweat it out. They have to be perfect in their test scores. They have to get great grades mm -hmm. to even have a chance at these elite schools like Northside Prep and Walter Payton right. and Jones and Whitney Young. Yeah. They're unbelievably competitive. And the ones that don't make it, a lot of them, if they can, they leave. They leave. They move to the suburbs. So and, and what I do know as an educator is even the ones that we turn away are still, you know, high uh, academic profiles. And so we're turning around the kids who are, you know, have high academic profiles and they and their families end up, you know, leaving the city. So we have to increase selective enrollment. We have to increase it throughout the city. We know we have because we we turn around thousands, turn around turn away thousands of kids. So I would seek to grow selective enrollment across the city and the neighborhood component of those selective enrollment. So for instance, I have both um, Kenwood High School and Jones uh, in, in my uh, district right now, my ward. Jones is selective enrollment. Kenwood is a neighborhood school. But Kenwood has great just like Jones, test scores. Why? Because they have a seventh and eighth grade selective component um, that feeds into the high school. And so they've got a good mix of academically performing kids. And then they fill the rest of the seats with all the neighborhood kids. And they still have a great uh, balance of vibrancy, of resources, of all of those things that you need for a school. So we know that that model works. We need to increase that model. Jones, everybody wants to get it in Jones uh, downtown. We have to open up Jones to a neighborhood component. There are a number of universities that are right around there. So there's space, room for collaboration and room for growth. I would say open up neighborhood components for Northside Prep, for Whitney Young, for all of those great selective enrollment schools so that neighborhood, your average kid, and I wouldn't say average, I'm an educator, so I believe in something called multiple intelligences, which means that, you know, kids may not just be book smart, but they may bring other um, intelligence to the table, whether it's through athletics or through the arts. But anyway, you'd open up schools to a, a more uh, array of of kids of everyday kids who are in this school which will be kind of like what i knew kind of growing up you know where you had some of everybody in the school and something for every uh something for everyone and that's how would what you I'd pay like for that and how many schools would you do it at yeah so right away i would i would seek to reprioritize the budget to pay for that um using tiff as well to pay for like a couple in places where we really need them. Uh, I even have an idea of having a selective enrollment school that's just for athletics, meaning all the athletic, you know, highly athletic kids in the school would go there and that's part of it. So you'd open up that. You can pay for it right now, like I said, by um, reprioritizing existing budget, but also by growing um, the community. So I would 
this is a housing too that goes into it. There's something called opportunity zones, which are much like enterprise zones of the past, but we've got them spread all across the South and West side. And we're one of the only cities that hasn't taken advantage of it. What an opportunity zone is, is it allows investors to invest their money for 10 years in an area that's been designated an opportunity zone and then take it out tax-free. Do you know how many people want to do that in a short period of time? You could get billions of dollars of investment. I would do that to grow the neighborhoods. Again, incentivize our teachers and our first responders to live in those neighborhoods by giving them interest-free loans and, and you know, empty lots or money to rehab or, you know, down payment incentives to kind of grow those neighborhoods. Then I would uh, use TIF, I would make those TIF areas and use the increment to pay for the schools. It is not rocket science. Um, and so those are some of the things, um, you know, that, that you know, I would do. Um, and again, you've got to have the vision, the political will, and the understanding. I think Really, what I We're bring, also talking about ahead. democratizing childcare. You say parents cannot afford to pay the increasingly steep rates for this essential need. Childcare workers deserve to make a decent living, and so you want to make a one hundred million dollar investment in childcare and facilities for them. How would you pay for that? Yeah. So again, um, I think that. CPS has a $9 billion budget and plus uh, the hundreds of millions of dollars that they get from, from us. Uh, I think early childhood education um, is super important. So we have to prioritize uh, that um, hundred million dollars may sound like a lot, but as you know, you know, we were going to have a, almost a hundred million dollars tax hike. And all of a sudden we found the money in our city budget. Um, and so hundred million dollars in billions of dollars of budget is not a lot of money. And we could certainly do it out over time. And there's also um, money, federal money, again, for early childhood education. We've got partners in the city that believe in early childhood education, although you have to have collaboration in order to sit down and talk to them. We've got, you know, our corporate and private um uh, entities who believe in that as well. So I would draw on all of those resources, uh, but we have to prioritize that for a couple of reasons. One, um, because as we grow our workforce, we want our parents to be able to go to work, right? And also uh, be able to, um, um, you know, drop their kids off and, and make sure uh, that they're taken care of and that their education is taken care of and the workers themselves who we need to increase their pay. I mean, so we have a shortage of, of early childhood educators, a shortage of teachers, a shortage of police. So we've, again, got to incentivize and pay them more um, so that we can keep them uh, in the city, uh, but also so that our city works uh, as we grow these jobs and as we want our um, residents to take part in the jobs of the future, we, they also need to be able to have the security of knowing that their kids are taken care of. And so that's all part of it. You say 75% of Illinois teachers are not prepared for kindergarten. So what do you propose there on early childhood education in terms of expansion and how much would that cost? Yeah. So early, uh, um, you know, kids for for kindergarten again that that's uh, 
I think the early childhood piece will will help them, right? So once we uh, prepare them for early childhood, then going into kindergarten, um, you know, that will uh, um, that will obviously help that. Um, so I think we again need to make sure that our early childhood educators are the best, um, so that our kids, when they're coming into pre-K and kindergarten, um, are uh, you know, have the educational background uh, that they need to be successful. Um, you know, I hate to say at such a young age that that's a predictor of how you're going to be or what you're going to do in your future, but it, it certainly is. And so I think that's something that we need to spend a lot of resources. Again, that would be a part of, of you know, the hundred million that I'm talking about. And as I said before, a uh, hundred is, is not a, a lot of money and billions of dollars of budget, but we would have to reprioritize, um, have those strong connections with um, corporations, foundations that believe in those things as well um, in order to continue that. But growing the population overall uh, in the city, uh, we won't be able to do a lot of these things if we don't grow as a city. And so I would continue uh, to make sure uh, that we grow in the city in a number of the ways uh, that I said, but truly by investing in our neighborhoods, bringing our focus back to neighborhood schools, so also reprioritizing them, um, using these selective enrollment slash neighborhood schools in order to spur um, development. Back in the day, you used to move into the neighborhood by the school. Um, and so I think schools um, the opportunity zones that I spoke about will spur um, people back into uh, the city um, and then we'll have the growth that we need to pay for all of the things that we need to pay for. Before we let you go, mayoral challenger Brandon Johnson is a Chicago Teachers Union organizer bankrolled by the CTU and other teachers unions. Are Chicago voters ready to elect a CTU organizer or is this a problematic thing? given the contentious relationship that we've seen with the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, and the CTU, the 12-day strike, the delayed opening of schools, and how some parents still blame the union for that? Yeah, I, I think, um, I don't think that the, the CTU should be running the fifth floor. Um, I think that they should be, you know, concentrate on um, making sure uh, that their teachers are supported and that they need everything. Um, and, you know, I, I really think that while uh, the, um, the mayor has been, uh, you know, combative and, and uh, that hasn't helped, uh, the style of the teachers union um, is somewhat combative as well. And so I think um, that, you know, that's not a good recipe for uh, the fifth floor. I don't think that one uh, particular union or entity uh, should kind of control the ethos or the beliefs of, you know, all of the city. And, and yeah, so I don't think that that balance would be good um, at all. Um, I'm also, you know, just a little, um, you know, concerned about him wanting to defund the police um, you know, a lot of the taxes that he's talking about bringing, uh, those things are problematic. And so, um, yeah, again, uh, I think that my um, track record 
uh, over the last six and a half years, uh, not only collaborating with people, but also getting things done um, in a non-contentious manner, you know, whether it's the fight for 15 or what's being called the most equitable development, you know, the former Michael Reese development. But, you know, Fran, there were four big striking developments in the city, the Obama Center, the 78 uh, Lincoln Yards, and uh, and the Michael Reese. And the Michael Reese development is, is the only one where you didn't hear that type of dissension, but the New York Times is heralding it as the most equitable because we got a $25 million commitment for schools. We got, you know, a commitment for 20% affordable housing on site. But really, that was a the... Um, uh, result of years of really collaborating with the developers who will see an upside in the community, an upside. And that's how, how things should work, um, including downtown, an issue on Michigan Avenue, 1000M, where, you know, the community agreed uh, that we would have condos in those units. But the the market changed and um, the developer asked, you know, to change the plan development so that they could do rental units because that's where the market was. The community pushed back a bit, but we sat down with the developer and the community and had a number of meetings. And now, you know, that building is, is going up. So you, you have to have these tough conversations and kind of stopping the false fights that we've had um, to deal with. One an example uh, that I can think of in recent memory is the false fight we had between, um, you know, equity and safety brought, brought on by, you know, lowering the threshold for the speed limit and the speed cameras, or sorry, lowering the threshold for the speed cameras. Well, there was a group of us that said, well, no, you know, the burden is in black and brown and poor areas. So we, we don't want to do that because, you know, they, as you know, they got 40 million in, in several months. Um, but we also said we're willing to redistribute the cameras. You know, I raised my hand. I've got places on Michigan Avenue. Another colleague said, oh, we don't have any in Lincoln Park. We could have redistributed the cameras. Uh, we could have had more money, <laughs> more safety, and and not, you know, uh, 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 taxed off the they, uh, you know, not leave the burden off the backs of, you know, the poorest people in the city. Uh, these are false fights that, that we don't have to have if you really have true collaboration um, and a city council that's working with a mayor uh, that respects them and knows that, you know, they are the closest thing to constituents that we have. And it would behoove us to listen to the people who represent, which kind of, is ironic, the same constituents that the mayor represents. Yeah. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, but leadership Sophia King, thank you so much for joining us. Get back on your treadmill and run <laughs> well, right through that finish line. Well, and we will you, see Sam. you all next week. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Sam. 